hospitals hurting. And we expect in the next two, three weeks that the situation will likely get worse. The number of staff falling sick and how it's pushing health care to the brink. Vaccine fraud. It seems pretty aberrant behavior. The shocking scheme taking advantage of some of Vancouver's most vulnerable. And superpower. It's great motivation to know you're working on a project that could change the world hopefully one day. The BC company promising a breakthrough in nuclear fusion and a limitless supply of clean energy. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC is setting a distressing new record today. 534 people in hospital due to COVID-19. The pandemic is certainly increasing the strain on our hospitals and the people who work there. Richard Zussman shows us how close we're getting to the breaking point. The perfect COVID storm. Sick workers and sick British Columbians. We expect in the next two, three weeks that the situation will likely get worse. So, yes, healthcare workers are under a lot of strain. And they've been under strain for 22 months. The province announcing healthcare workers missed 27,937 shifts last week due to illness, meaning a lack of healthcare staff province-wide. And now a record number of COVID patients in hospital, 534, all leading to pressure that could crack the system. Doctors, like all healthcare workers, are overworked, they're burnt out, they're stressed by the pandemic, and the health impacts are just so grand at this point. And what's happening right now is they're being redeployed to other places in the hospital. So to areas they're not even familiar with. And that's adding to the burden of our front line right now. The good news for now is intensive care visits remain stable. But the province is ready to set up a field hospital at Vancouver's convention centre if needed and scheduled surgeries continue to be postponed. Every health authority every day is reviewing uh, it's surge plan against what's happening in the system, who's at work and everything else, and they're making adjustments. In some cases, this will mean uh, will mean some cancellations. One thing doctors here don't want to see is something they are doing in Quebec, which is allowing sick frontline healthcare workers to work in hospitals and other settings. Any healthcare worker who is sick, including doctors, not be forced to return to work or forced to work in, under conditions that they would put their own health at risk as well as their patients. There will also be cases where family doctors are not available due to illness. But even with this strain, the encouragement is if you need medical attention, get it. If you're seriously ill and you delay, the likelihood is you're going to get more seriously ill. Dix and Dr. Bonnie Henry expected to provide a further update on hospitalizations Friday morning and potentially more measures to protect a fragile system. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's take a closer look at that record hospitalization number. 534 in hospital, up 34 from yesterday with 102 patients in ICU. Seven more people have died from complications of the virus. And we have just over 36,000 active cases now with 2,554 new cases. Keith Baldry joins us now with a look ahead to tomorrow's provincial briefing, a provincial health briefing. And Keith, mm -hmm. it's, it's expected it will be about COVID in our hospitals. What are you expecting to see? 
Yeah, we're going to get a closer look at uh, who's in hospital and how it's being counted and classified. So uh, you mentioned 534 in hospital day, a record increase of 34, but that's a net increase. There was actually 109 people went into hospital yesterday, but many people came out. And we're tracking now 500 cases in one week in just the last three days. 260 admissions, 104 net increase because so many people actually left hospital. And it's unclear how many patients tested positive after being admitted for treatment for something else. This is a new phenomenon associated with Omicron. Uh, Ontario classifies these cases of people who are not going to hospital with uh, symptoms but going there to perhaps get a hip replacement or they're there in an emergency because they broke their leg skiing or something. And then when they get there, they test positive for COVID-19. Uh, in Ontario, it's almost a 50-50 split between people who go to hospital because they're feeling sick from COVID and people who test positive as a result of going into hospital for something else. But if you do test positive, you're put in a different place in the hospitals. You heard a nurse in Richmond's story point out that moves people around. That increases more work for healthcare workers. We'll get a full breakdown of this tomorrow uh, on what, exactly what's going on in hospitals. That'll be at 11 o'clock tomorrow. We'll be carrying that live on BC1, probably run right into the noon news hour as well. Well, you get put into a COVID ward, assuming there's room in the COVID ward. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right. We might get an update on this tomorrow, but right now, at least, B.C. hospitals say they are not seeing a spike in children being admitted for COVID treatment during the Omicron surge. B.C. Children's Hospital says it has about a dozen young patients with COVID right now. A quarter of them were admitted for treatment for the virus. The rest are there for other reasons, as Keith mentioned, and happened to test positive. And while hospital officials expect the numbers to increase as a reflection of what's happening in the community, they stress they are not seeing a sharp increase in the number of children being hospitalized with COVID-19. A lot of children who test positive for COVID-2 and are in hospital are in hospital for other reasons. Um, and there's you know, varying estimates of, of that around different centres, but it's typically somewhere between 40 and 70% of children who may be in hospital and may have COVID, but that's not the primary reason why they've actually been hospitalised and they're there for something else. For parents who wonder whether to take their child to hospital with suspected COVID symptoms, doctors say the rule is similar to if they had the flu. They suggest taking them if they're under six months of age and have a high fever or are struggling to breathe. The surge in Omicron cases is also putting pressure on working parents and daycare centers. They say, unlike schools, they have been given little guidance from the province about what to do if they have a COVID case. Amadagahi has the story. We've got, um, you know, role play area. We have costumes out here sometimes. It may be a testament to the patients required to teach and look after young children because it has taken almost two years for early childhood educators to speak out like this. It has been a tsunami of frustration. A positive COVID test from a staff member and a student left the director here with no choice but to close for a week because she says despite her best efforts, there was no clear alternative offered by provincial health. What happens if you have a COVID exposure? What are we supposed to do? What about staff isolation? What are parents supposed to do? A very clear guideline going forward. And we have none. Childcare operators are struggling to keep up with the spread of Omicron. Remarkably, Kinder Campus on Heritage Mountain and its four other locations have stayed open this week, with 13 staff members recently contracting COVID, including the operations manager who we spoke with during her isolation. 
very challenging for daycare operators to keep their doors open, to maintain the quality that they want to maintain, and then, of course, keep their teachers safe and healthy and not scared to come to work. One of the biggest issues at the moment seems to be that once there has been an exposure in this setting, it is up to the operators to decide who goes home and if the doors stay open. The decision is difficult to make on their own without clear public health instructions. The communication it has to improve and access to up-to-date information and being involved with the conversation. The province says it has put guidelines in place as recently as December 20th, but operators argue that's out of date and not designed with Omicron in mind. Meanwhile, at the end of the day, all the exposures happening seemingly everywhere have forced many parents, sometimes last minute, to drop everything and keep kids home. You get the email, you read it, you maybe cry. No, <laughs> uh, You just, honestly, you just have to figure it out. Emad Global News. New evidence is emerging about how far some people will go to avoid getting a COVID-19 vaccine. Some are paying vulnerable people on the downtown east side to get a shot in their place so they can still get the vaccine card. It's not widespread, but as Nitu Garcha reports, a policy meant to protect the vulnerable may have opened an opportunity for fraud. Calling it deplorable behavior, Vancouver Coastal Health confirming cases of people paying vulnerable members of the downtown east side community to get COVID-19 shots using the fraudster's name and health information. Now, this is a high-risk population, four times as likely to have severe outcomes from COVID-19, so health officials reduced barriers to getting vaccinated, meaning no need for a photo ID, making it easier to take advantage of the system. That's according to a source familiar with the downtown east side immunization effort. VCH says new measures are now in place to ensure the identity of anyone getting an immunization is confirmed. Any vaccine cards deemed to be fraudulent are being removed from the provincial immunization registry and the BC vaccine cards are being revoked. VCH not providing an exact number of cases but says this has happened a handful of times. None of those cases were reported to Vancouver police but they say if it's caught happening again the health authority will forward the fraud to police for follow-up. Earlier this month, police in Edmonton confirmed they've opened an investigation into similar claims in that city. An ER nurse whose identity Global News agreed to conceal because of the nurse's fears of losing their job said at least six patients came into the hospital saying they were paid to get multiple vaccinations. Here's more from Nicole Mucci of the Union Gospel Mission and BC Health Minister Adrian Dix. The reality is, is for anyone who's struggling with substance addiction or homelessness, the opportunity to make several hundred dollars, it's not a choice. It's a survival tactic. Whatever the criminal code test might be, it's deceptive and fraudulent behavior taking place on the downtown east side, presumably so people could get a vaccine card and, I don't know, go to a restaurant. It seems pretty aberrant behavior. Now, for its part, Fraser Health says it's not aware of this type of fraud happening within its region. And here in Vancouver, it does not appear to be a widespread problem. And those who control vaccine delivery say they're working to keep it that way. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. Trapped on all sides, the highway chaos facing residents of Boston Bar and the growing fear of food shortages and medical emergencies next on the news hour the burned out bc community working on a better way to build homes that'll last coming up on the news hour
And proof hockey has no age limit. The 88-year-old still competing in the sport he loves later. Right now, though, residents of a number of communities along Highway 1 in the Fraser Canyon say road closures have essentially cut them off from the rest of B.C. for months. As John Hua reports, since the November washouts, people in Boston Bar and surrounding communities face ever-dwindling supplies for day-to-day -day living and little to no health care services. First, it was a landslide wiping out the side of a mountain. Now the threat of avalanches continues to cut off communities in the Fraser Canyon. Living in the canyon, we've always faced uh, bad winters where the road is shut down periodically, but this year has been really bad. To the north, the risk of avalanches has stalled work on a temporary bridge on Jackass Mountain and several avalanches to the south, effectively leaving communities like Boston Bar and the Boothroyd Indian Band Reserve trapped in between. Nobody cares about us. That's where, the way we're feeling right now. It's been five days since the highway was reopened for a short window, so residents could leave town and get supplies. Some didn't hear about it until it was too late. Others thought it was simply too dangerous. They gave us a time that, that was in the middle of the night to go down, and it's too unsafe to travel in the dark in an avalanche area. The greatest concern is a lack of medical services, with air ambulance the only option for severe cases. If you don't have facilities up here, if I had a heart attack, I'm dead, because there is no one up here who can help us. The next, dwindling food supplies, with shelves left almost bare at the local grocery store. People are sharing what they have. So you really are feeling like we're on a stranded island somewhere because we can't get any assistance of any kind. These are breads. Fraser Canyon market owner Harpender Chahal is loaded up and ready to restock his store. Then they don't have these. Uh, Being stuck in the lower mainland has been heartbreaking. They got scared, yes, of course. Uh, that's why, you know, my staff is keep calling me, keeps messaging me. The province is providing support by rail and air to bring in some food and prescription medication. Residents are calling for a more proactive approach. Whoever thought that we'd have communities cut off like we have had in this last uh, six months. But I can tell you, shame on us if we don't do planning around it. Without contingency plans in place, those left stranded in the Fraser Canyon can't help but feel forgotten. John Hua, Global News. RCMP want you to be on the lookout for a missing inmate who walked away from Surrey pretrial this afternoon. Officers and the dog squad are part of the manhunt. Mustafa Saada is 32 years old. He's described as Middle Eastern, 5 foot 8 inches tall with a slim build. If you see him, do not approach him. Call 911. He has a history of violence and was in custody for robbery. He was last seen heading south from pretrial toward Highway 10. Still ahead, harnessing the power of stars. It feels like the pace is quickening in a general way. A BC company gets a chance to test its fusion reactor, promising a clean and safe source of energy. Also tonight, public health and concerns about privacy, what your cell phone data is being collected for. Two lanes north and one south over here at the Lions Gate Bridge. Traffic is actually pretty steady in both directions, with just some minor delays for southbound traffic through the Stanley Park Causeway. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. 
The union representing employees of Life Lab says the temporary closure of locations in B.C. could possibly have been avoided if staff were better protected. Ted Janecki has that story and an ominous warning about the rest of our health care system. They're called life labs, but really should be called life or death labs because a loss of critical test results could literally lead to the death of a patient. It's not just diagnostic. As you said, it can be, um, you know, maintenance. It can be monitoring. So, you know, a medication's impact on liver and kidney function. This is ground zero for a lot of BC's medically vulnerable and for the medical system itself. The positivity rate for Omicron is huge. And so what we're seeing is... Uh, a notion that the healthcare system could be taken down from the inside out, meaning no staff. Take a deep breath. Early detection can save tens of thousands of dollars per patient. Yet there's been a chronic staffing problem in BC for years, long before the pandemic. The province was warned on several occasions. In its own 2018 Human Resources Plan, in the next five years, quote, it is projected that 26% of the current medical lab assistant workforce and 42% of the current medical lab technologist workforce may elect to retire based on historical trends. And then just last year, the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science testified that half of all medical laboratory technologists will be eligible to retire in the next 10 years, and the supply of new graduates is insufficient to offset these numbers. We've been calling for investment in British Columbia for domestic supply, as well as proper qualification routes for the foreign trained for, I will say, at least a decade. So now we have at least 11 life lab clinics temporarily closed completely, all but one in southwestern BC, and about another 11 with reduced hours due to staffing shortages. The union says the better approach would have been to protect frontline workers in the first place. We need to prevent workers from getting sick rather than trying to deal with an emergency situation in understaffing. And Life Labs is a perfect example of that. Ted Chernacki, Global News. A federal government committee is considering whether to suspend the Public Health Agency of Canada's analysis of cell phone location data. The agency has been using the information to measure the effectiveness of COVID-19 public health measures. But the opposition is raising concerns about privacy. Global's Kyle Benning explains. Conservative and Bloc Québécois MPs are pushing for the Public Health Agency of Canada to stop using data coming from cell phones. Debate continues in a House of Commons emergency committee meeting with concerns over whether people were aware it was taking place and what is being used. Ontario's former privacy commissioner says Canadians should know if their data is being shared. They said, oh, well, if people want to opt out of this, they can. How the heck are they going to opt out of it if they're not even aware of it? That's why it defies understanding. PHAC has been using cell phone mobility data since December 2020 to track the population's movement with health measures in place. The agency noted the data was de-identified, saying it couldn't be traced back to individuals. I heard a lot of feedback suggesting that, that this was an issue where uh, we... Canadians want answers for. PHAC says combining cell phone mobility data with health measures would allow it to estimate how effective those measures are. The agency purchased data from TELUS and in December put out a contract looking for similar information running until 2023. Experts say cell phone mobility data is used and sold by private companies regularly. People seem to be much more concerned um, about government accessing the data than they are about the fact that it's being collected um, so widely and often so rapaciously by the private sector. 
The emergency meeting continues next week. Kyle Benning, Global News. Up next, new technology to prevent disasters. We need things that withstand fire for a much longer period of time. A Lytton area First Nation finding a way to build new homes that can handle whatever nature throws at them. And a Cranbrook moose making himself very comfortable in a more urban environment. Steady traffic both ways at the Massey Tunnel tonight. Keep in mind, though, there is some road work causing delays south of the tunnel at Highway 17, between Highway 17A and Ladner Trunk. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, the cost of last summer's wildfire in Lytton has skyrocketed past $100 million. Two people died when the community was devastated by fire on June 30th. The Insurance Bureau of Canada says cleanup would normally be well underway within six months. But in Lytton, ash and now snow cover the ground with little prospect of rebuilding in the near future. And that has caused the cost of the tragedy to jump from the original estimate of $78 million to $102 million today. An indigenous community just outside Lytton has enlisted the help of researchers and engineers to help it rebuild after last summer's devastating wildfire. The Kanaka Bar Indian Band is partnering with the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology to design and build homes that can stand up to future fires along with storms and floods. Global's Heather Yurick's West explains. It's been six months since Patrick Michelle lost his home. It was an intergenerational home. My mother-in-law lived with us. My wife and I lived with us. We have six kids. After shattering Canada's heat record in late June and reaching a high of 46.6 degrees, on June 30th, 2021, the village of Lytton, B.C. caught fire. 15 kilometers south, the indigenous community of Kanaka Bar quickly burned as well. The fire jumped from home to home to home willy-nilly. One of my friends described it as a dragon. The homes in Kanaka Bar uh, burned down in about 20 minutes. Um, part of the problem wasn't so much the fire as it was the thermal transmissivity of the heat. Weeks after the fire, researchers at Calgary's Southern Alberta Institute of Technology reached out with an offer to help. Not only rebuild the community, but to do it in a way that would withstand future fires, storms and floods. We don't want things that will just withstand fire for 10 minutes. We need things that withstand fire for a much longer period of time. I'm an Indigenous person. I build buildings and infrastructure for the next hundred years for my great-great-grandchildren's use and benefit. And so when the first homes are rebuilt in Kanakabar this spring, they will be built to last. The community is funding a study that will see a team from SAIT, Okanagan College, Foresight Canada and Seco Construction working together to design and build between four and eight test homes withstand whatever climate event comes next. We'll be following everyone who's living in them for a year after they occupy the homes to understand um, how the materials are performing. We know there will be more climate events in the region, how those homes stand up to those climate events. Construction is set to begin in April with the hope of having the first families move in this fall. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. A young moose has become quite a celebrity in Cranbrook these days. I've uh, been living here in this spot here since 1999. 
and I have never, never seen a moose up here, even though we're on the edge of town here. It seems almost everyone in town has had a sighting of the yearling that was first spotted more than a week ago after a heavy snowfall. It's been roaming up and down residential streets, sleeping and eating in the backyards. He ate a lot of those apples off of that apple tree that were down lower, but he was really stretching out today trying to reach up there to get them. But uh, I think they're fermented. Maybe he gets drunk. I don't know. <laughs> Conservation officers have not been making any attempt to catch him because he isn't posing any threat to the public. They expect he'll likely wander back into the wilderness once the weather improves. In Health Matters tonight, a pilot project is being launched to help reduce the number of cervical cancer deaths in B.C. 200 women in our province are diagnosed with cervical cancer each year, and one woman per week dies from it. But it is almost entirely preventable through a vaccine and pap test. Because of that, BC Cancer is offering at-home cervix screening for people living on central Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast. Women will receive a kit, do their own test, then drop their sample in the mail. I think we are looking towards improving options so that women can have screening that really works best for them. And so one of the things we want to do with this pilot project is actually really understand how best to reach women at home in their community, particularly opportune for rural and remote areas, for Indigenous communities, so that they have access and equal access to screening as women who say live in urban centres. Illicit drug deaths took a massive toll on B.C. communities in 2021. One in five were connected to the trades. So the construction industry, where work hard, play hard is a lifestyle, is fighting back. It's getting provincial funding to teach the risks of illicit drug use right at the work site. Catherine Urquhart reports. We're, we're all safe here. <laughs> at a construction site on Vancouver Island, Corey Coots tries to stay connected to workers. As health and safety manager, she's tasked with helping employees, including those with substance dependencies. Uh, I think it's running rampant through the trades. Um, we, our company, we haven't seen it as much, thankfully, but uh, we all know somebody who has passed away from the overdose crisis. People who work in trades, transport and equipment operations make up approximately 20% of those who have fatally overdosed recently in B.C. Now the province is increasing efforts aimed at harm reduction training on work sites, putting a million dollars into the tailgate toolkit program. You know, the, the end goal is that every workplace and people all the members of every workplace have got access to these tools. Um, if they want to get the training to have either the difficult conversations or to help navigate people directly to treatment and recovery and overdose prevention resources. But is $1 million enough to tackle the problem? In 2021, BC paramedics responded to more than 35,000 overdose calls. We're talking about a sector that employs over 250,000 British Columbians, and I think it's very clear that a million dollars is not enough. You know, what people in this sector are wanting to see that are struggling with mental health and addictions is that we actually have treatment options that are available and not affordable. The BC Construction Association welcomes expansion of the harm reduction program. It started on the island, it's expanding to the province, and through our networks and through our partnerships, it will uh, have the opportunity to reach every corner of the province. It's nice to know that, that 
these the money is being put into the right place to help the people that need it the most. Will the expanded program make a difference? And when? Important questions as BC continues to face an overdose crisis. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, a hockey player with staying power. Let's play hockey. The Abbotsford 88-year-old who couldn't wait for a comeback. Also tonight, what NASA has just learned about the planet's changing climate. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, it's no surprise natural disasters are becoming more intense and costly and are wreaking havoc on communities not only from coast to coast to coast here, but around the world as well. That's right. And now more proof with the release of a detailed report on 2021's climate trends showing it was the sixth warmest year on record. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. The earth is getting warmer and it's becoming increasingly difficult to deny that. 2021 was within the top 10 warmest years on record, the other nine occurring since 2005, according to NASA and NOAA. It's hard to find a place on this planet that hasn't been impacted. The only way for us to get global warming to stop is to stop emitting uh, greenhouse gases. Since 1981, human carbon pollution has lifted temperatures 0.18 degrees Celsius per decade. Oceans warmed about eight times faster. There hasn't been a cooler than average year since 1977. The UN issued a dire warning last August. Nobody's safe and it's getting worse faster. For a brief period during peak pandemic, emissions actually dropped, only to rev up as the economy restarted, putting governments in overdrive again to find a solution. Reduce our 2005 emission levels by 40 to 45 percent reduce our methane by 30 percent by 2030. It has to be accelerated and and the changes have to be quite powerful. Until then, the lived experience of a changing climate plays out in real time with heat waves, drought and catastrophic fires in Canada and winter tornadoes and southern ice storms in the U.S. So something that that before was a one in a hundred year event, well now it's a one in ten year event. Data shows, without intervention, the world will warm by two and a half degrees by 2099. Meaning devastating climate events could be something to expect and preparedness becoming the wall between life and death. So much of what we've done in the past assumes climate normal. Um, Climate normal no, no longer exists. The NASA and NOAA report shows that 2021 wasn't the snowiest or the stormiest, but highlights that even when it's not that bad, Past trends paint a bleak future. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. And boy, we've been experiencing a lot of that here Mm -hmm. uh, in the past year or so. All right, let's bring in Christy Gordon now with a look at our forecast. And it was a pretty good day um, amid all we've been going through, Christy. Mm Well, yeah, no, I was going to say that as well. I mean, it's been one thing after another for our region. And today, everyone breathed, uh, was able to breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, the sunset here was gorgeous. You probably felt the warmth. It was up to about 9 degrees. That's a uh, good 3, 4 degrees above seasonal for this time of year. If you miss the sunset, I thought I would show you. We've got a gorgeous shot looking out from the Chilliwack area from Blair uh, White. And it really was stunning. A good sort of way to head into the weekend. Um, I know it's only Thursday, everyone, but you know, 
I'm, I'm thinking a little early here. Um, I wanted to let you know that the, for the most part, the rivers have now peaked. Uh, in the forecast here, it just shows that we could see another little peak, but overall, uh, the rivers have come down now and we don't have any ma major rain in the forecast. Now, we are by late tomorrow going to see some wish of push into the Vancouver Island region. So periods of rain expected there, but it should be mostly dry across Metro Vancouver until the evening hours when that wave pushes across. Uh, fairly light, we're not expecting much and it will push out through the morning hours on Saturday. So uh, it's really just sort of Friday evening into early Saturday that we could see some moisture. I know that the soccer players out there have not been able to get out for several weeks between Christmas and all the snow on the ground. So Saturday's looking pretty good for those of you that are soccer players out there. And as you can see here, we've got three fairly good days on the way before more rain is set to push in on Monday. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from... Um, out through the Fraser Valley, looking towards the Golden Ears. Uh, Mar Margarita sent us that one. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's a gorgeous shot with the when the sun goes down and creates that beautiful yellow hue across things. It really is quite stunning. We haven't seen, been able to enjoy that for a while. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Christy. All right. If you're still with us after that depressing climate change report, here's something that'll give you hope. A BC company believes it's made a breakthrough in the never-ending search for a source of cheap, sustainable energy that could literally change the world. As Paul Johnson reports, the company is getting a chance to prove its technology works, with a goal to bring it online within the decade. Don't be fooled by the generic look of this light industrial building near the Costco in Burnaby. Because if what they're making here does what they think it will, you'll be telling your grandchildren about this. General Fusion is driving on a path where we could be putting a shovel in the ground on the first commercial plant before the end of the decade. Let me show you one other piece of it sure. while you're here. General Fusion um, CEO Chris Maury had a big announcement this week that they hit a milestone right. no, with their exactly magnetized right. so, target you know, fusion technique. This machine here, um, we've demonstrated the ability to smoothly and in a very controlled symmetric way drive a very rapid shape collapse of a liquid metal. Fusion is the energy that powers the stars. Harnessing nuclear fusion, the reaction that powers the sun, has been a dream of physicists for decades. But doing it in a way that's practical and economical has been elusive. The general fusion method is to create a swirling cylinder of liquid metal, inject fuel into it, compress it, and ignite it. They believe they've mastered it sufficiently, but they're now building a demonstration plant in the UK. And among others, they've convinced Jeff Bezos and Shopify's Toby Lutke to invest. We think we're in the lead. All evidence would say we are in the lead. What I do is I develop hardware and software that helps us to map the 3D shape of that liquid vortex as it collapses. However things turn out, one certainty is that General Fusion has already created a community of young British Columbians with experience at the forefront of science, working toward unlimited and emission-free energy. How'd you like to get up in the morning to do that? It's great motivation to know you're working on a project that could change the world hopefully one day. In Burnaby, Paul Johnson, Global News. So he blinded me with science. Yeah, that's that? right. Yeah. So, so promising and yet so elusive. Mm. That's, that's victory for the Canucks maybe. Yeah, sometime. no kidding. <laughs> well, 
the Canucks uh, were in Tampa Bay tonight. They played okay, I thought. Mm -hmm. They didn't win, but they played all right. And in fact, Tampa Bay is going to be a bit of a theme in the sports cast. Last year, Bucks receiver Mike Evans got a close-up view at the greatness of Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, he's the greatest football mind we've ever seen. And we, we definitely saw it last year. Can Brady and the Bucks win again this year? Well, we'll talk about that coming up. And, of course, can... Uh, and later, he might not be the fastest skater, but he's definitely the most inspirational, proving hockey is fun at any age later. Well, if you're not going for the sun and the sand, it can be a bit of a grind going to Florida. If you're an NHL team these days, you will usually get burned when you go to the Sunshine State. The Canucks, of course, lost to Florida on Tuesday 5-2. Tonight, they were in Tampa Bay, the team that owns the last two Stanley Cups. And in both those years, current Canuck Luke Shen was a member of the Lightning. And today, before the game, they gave him his Stanley Cup ring. It's big, it's gaudy like Stanley Cup rings are supposed to be. You know who else got a Stanley Cup ring today? Jordan Armstrong's dad, who, of course, is a scout for the Tampa Bay Lightning. First goal of the game, Steven Stamkos on the power play. One timing that one to beat Thatcher Demko, who was named to the NHL All-Star game today. Deservedly so. Matthew Highmore. This is a rarity. He turns and fires and beats Andre Vasilevsky to tie the score 1-1 in the first period. You hate allowing a goal late in a period. And the Canucks do just that. 20 seconds left in the first, and Anthony Sorelli gets one. No, no, no. Vancouver played well in this game, just like they did against Florida. In fact, they were better tonight than they were against Florida. They were rusty against the Panthers after all those days off, but they deserve better tonight, truthfully. Um, Pucks in front. Bo Horvat stopped by Vasilevsky. Nice blocker save. It's Quinn Hughes. It's an Elias Pettersson breakaway. Misses the net. You got to hit the net at least. At least make him make a save. Right over the top on the backhand. He's still not himself. Look at this. JT Miller takes a shot right off the foot. Didn't look good there. Didn't look good on the bench. But he would keep playing. I'm sure he'll be sore when he gets the skate off. This is a bit nasty. A two on none. Ross, Colton, and Boris... Kachuk, and Kachuk scores the goal to make it 3-1. to one. Canucks will get it back. Bit of a strange one. Highmore's in on this one as well. There's a, between the legs, Tyler Mott. 3-2. Could they come back? Well, they pulled the goalie early, and Braden Point is not going to miss from here. Tampa Bay wins at 4-2. Canucks are in Carolina on Saturday morning. Okay, while we were on the subject of Tampa Bay, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers start the playoff Sunday against Philadelphia. The Bucs are expected to win. They're eight-and-a-half-point favorites. And, of course, their chances of repeating as Super Bowl champions is mainly on the shoulders of the guy right beside me, Tom Brady, the man who is still outplaying most other quarterbacks as well as outplaying Father Time. Here he is on third and three from the pocket.
As Tom Brady's age goes up, amazingly, so did his impressive numbers and records. At age 44, Brady led the NFL with 5,316 yards passing and 43 touchdown passes. The 43 TDs were the second most in his 21-year NFL career. So when we hear Brady say he wants to play until he's 50, that's no joke. I want to play as a championship-level player. That's that's what I've said for a long time. And when I'm not able to do that, you know, I said a long time ago, when I suck, I'll retire. But what I really meant was when, you know, I'm not capable of leading the team to victory, then someone else has to do the job. So um, I feel like I can do that. Brady is pretty much the career leader in all of the key NFL quarterback stats. But the most important number to Brady is seven. That's the number of Super Bowls he's won. And he's a solid bet to make it eight. No detail is too small for Brady, who will text his receivers on tendencies of the other team's defensive backs just to get that edge. Yeah, I mean, he's the greatest football mind we've ever seen. He's so detailed and he knows what's coming, you know, a lot of the times. And uh, he puts us in this position, uh, allows us to play a lot faster. Um, you know, that's pretty much it. You know, he's been detailed all year and, uh, you know, he, he keeps it up during the playoffs. Brady will get some MVP votes this year, but will likely finish behind the Packers' Aaron Rodgers, who is six years younger. But Rodgers still trails Brady by six in the Super Bowl wins department. Barry DeLay, Global Sports. And now the Tom Brady of Vogel skiing, Canada's Michael Kingsbury. This guy is an auto. Every time he goes down the hill, he pretty much ends up on the podium. He won today in Utah. Another World Cup win is sixth of the season. It's also the 100th time he has been on the podium in a World Cup event, and he's the favorite going to the Winter Olympics. Well, I'm guessing that's not English Bay. Hawaii, Sony Open. Corey Connors of Canada with the approach shot here. Out of the fairway bunker to about four feet. That led to a birdie. Minus six through 16, two off the lead. Surrey's Adam Svensson playing his first event of the year. That's a 20-footer for Bird. Minus four through 12, tied for 19th at the moment. Jim Furyk and Kevin Na are on the lead at minus eight. And there you go. Why, thank you, Squire. You're quite welcome. That was good. Up next, an octogenarian still scoring after all these years. You've hung up your blades. You might be inspired by 88-year-old Henry Unger. His much younger teammates say he still delivers a mean check. Jay Durant heads to the rink for This Is BC. It's another game day in Abbotsford, and Henry Unger is gearing up for his third game this week. Let's play hockey. (laughs) Getting everybody on these 55-plus teams pumped up. Is he an inspiration to you younger guys? <laughs> yeah, I thought I was an old guy when I got here. No, I'm a young guy. Okay, we're going to do it. Let's go, Henry. 1939 was the year when Henry put on his first pair of skates. As I remember, they cost $3.75. And he used magazines for shin guards. He loves to share stories of a simpler time for the sport. He says, well, when I started playing street hockey, it was with homemade sticks and frozen horse crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> Most people don't try to make a comeback at age 88. We're having fun. And we're getting exercise. Henry actually had to teach himself how to skate again after taking the last year and a half off. I literally had to hold on to the boards so that I could turn around and skate backwards. Good shift, Henry. Thank you. 
He's quite a bit older than most of the players, but out here he's just one of the guys. When he goes out on the ice, he takes his uh, hearing aids out. So we can trash talk and badmouth him all day long and he just smiles at us. He still has the skills. He may not be blazing up and down, but you do not want to take him for granted. So he plays good hockey. He checks you pretty hard. You know, he doesn't give you an inch. Now we know that we can keep playing all the way to 88. Once in a while, the seas will part, giving Henry a chance for a goal. I have to admit that on occasion, they, they give me a little extra room. Not a bad game at all. He may not win league MVP, but there's one guy who's always a lock for most inspirational player. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay. This is BC at globalnews.ca. So fun to watch Henry play. Uh, all right, fun to see the sunshine this afternoon for some folks, at least a little bit of it. What's, uh, what's coming up? Absolutely. It was so nice to see that sunshine. So dry conditions overnight will drop down to six degrees and we're expecting another mild day tomorrow with a high of nine. Mostly dry throughout the day, but we'll likely see some rainfall by the evening hours. But that should push out through the early morning on Saturday, which is great news. It looks like it's a mostly dry weekend. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Christy. And thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.